Hey everyone, welcome back to Private Club Radio. I'm your host, club entertainer, comedy magician, Denny Corby. If you need high quality club entertainment, head over to dennycorby.com. So shameless plug, if you're interested. On this episode, we wrap up NCA's yearly conference. Joe tells us his thoughts. And in this episode, we talk about what the current state of the federal government and how it impacts clubs and their governance. And we also talk about the Supreme Court decision on water, Sackett versus the EPA and its implications for the Clean Water Act and EPA jurisdictions. We talk about everything from government updates and more. Please welcome CEO of the NCA, Joe Traeger. Excellent. Good. Um, no, everything's been good. Um, you know, we continue to plug away with getting new members and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, the feedback we got from the conference was fantastic and I, you know, no complaints. Yeah, it was my first I year there. It was so much fun. You go better. Yeah, it's a good event. Um, and I'm, you know, I say this every year, this is my fourth or fifth conference now. And it's, it still just amazes me the quality of production that, um, NCA puts together, um, for such a lean staff. Your staff is unbelievable. They are amazing. Uh, when I put out the, the recap episode from the, from the first day when, when I was there, uh, I mentioned just how amazing the staff was to work with. They all put on such a great job and are so nice and friendly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm I'm very blessed um, to be part of a, a great team, and I've always felt that way. What were some of the highlights for you f- from the conference? Being done. <laughs> uh, it's got to be so stressful. It is, um, and, and it is, and it isn't. I mean, it's a great it's a great event, and I enjoy being there too because um, you know the, those are whether it's the general managers or the board members, uh, of the clubs themselves. Um, you know, these are, uh, folks that all share a common love and interest in, in clubs and it's always just great to hang out together. So it's a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, the, it is, the, there are stressors to it. Um, you know, we, we try to put on a good show and, you know, as you, as you know, um, things don't always go to plan, um, but you adapt and, you make it work and um generally uh, you know just try to keep uh, keep things moving and um but yeah the highlights for me i think were really having um a really diverse group of folks that were on the stage um you know presenting to our group um you know we kicked things off with uh david walker and um you know he's a uh, an individual that's been involved with um the federal government and inside and outside of the government for many, many years and kind of known as a deficit hawk and a uh, budget hawk. And, <laughs> and, uh, so it was great to get a, a feel for him. Um, just kind of the 30,000 foot level, um, of where things stand with, the, with the government, with funding, with debt, you know, with deficits, those types of things. And the sort of dysfunction that we see at the governance, you know, level within the federal government. And then, my idea was to take that kind of um, illustration of dysfunction with within governance at the federal level and juxtapose that with an example of where a club has come in and completely changed their governance 
to the benefit and and the growth of um, their club. So it was it was very a conscious decision on my part. I'm not sure how many people picked up on, it, but um, that was my intent. Oh, so that was that that was how things kicked off, and I thought it went. You know, I thought it was no, great. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Anything else you want to add about the about the conference? I are, are is is that part of the? Are we recording part of the interview? Oh or? yeah, sorry. I, I was just oh, kind yeah, of. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. So I, I, I found also if I don't tell people, it's usually a little bit more of like a natural conversation. So I was like, oh, I'll just like yeah. let it roll. Um, but yeah, we we run recording. Yeah. If you don't want me to use any of the stuff we've been talking about. I'd be more than happy to. Uh, no, no, no. That's that's all good. That's all. Um, but yeah, so the, you know that juxtaposition was was important to me. I, I think in setting the tone about how much control we all have um, in how we manage our clubs and 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 how volunteer leadership plays an important role in in all of that and um you know so that kind of kicked things off in a, in a nice way i thought um and and then you know having um uh jeff morgan with the ceo of the club manager yeah. association of america there and talking about how the two organizations are working more closely together and coordinating and collaborating in a strategic way, I thought was, um, you know, it was important because we're, um, I think there's been over the years, um, you know, this sense of, um, you know, tension between the organizations and I'm not sure exactly why, but, you know, my perspective as a, as a former club president and a former board member, uh, you know, it's always been, a part of my ethos that, you know, the managers and the volunteer club leaders really work together to make the club the best that it can be. And so I think that, you know, our clubs and our managers and our volunteer leaders deserve that from the two organizations that represent those two different, um, you know, entities, whether it's the volunteer leadership or the club and the general manager. So, you know, that was important to me as the, as a new CEO coming in to, offer that as a, my perspective on how I want to view um, our relationship with the CMAA and other organizations that that uh, that we work with on a regular basis. So, um, you know, that was a highlight for me. Um, you know, and I think one of the things that we've always been a, a big part of in the DC association circles is, is obviously the government relations side. So um, we have made some changes with regard to how we actually engage in our advocacy efforts, um, for those who who have followed NCA or been part of NCA for the last several years, you know, I've been the vice president of government relations um, since 2019, and um, just moved up into the CEO role in the last year. And you know, my background is really sort of on the hill and lobbying and you know, government relations and that kind of stuff. Um, in addition to my roles that I've played within uh, my own club and and um, that kind of thing. But um, so it was important for me uh, as we look toward the future of the organization to continue to have a role within government re- relations as the CEO. And I think there's an important message that sends to the Hill that this is an important issue for clubs. And it's important enough that the CEO, uh, him or herself, is engaged in those efforts and uh, engaging with policymakers on a regular basis. So that was important. Um, but we did, um, change. We, we, as one might imagine, um, doing the v- government relations and being the CEO sort of 
adds a uh, to a full yeah. plate. So um, what I've done is is taken um, one of our former board members, um, Rob Smith, uh, who is with Platinum Advisors uh, here in Washington D.C. He's been a consultant um, in the past and um, kind of served in that role as a as an NCA board member. Um, but now he's no longer on the board, and we've actually hired him and his firm as a consulting, you know, um, a consultant for us in the government relations space. So. Um, I, I view that as a, the next step for us. Um, it, it is very much a, a force multiplier for um, us to reach a broader audience when it comes to government relations and help uh, help me focus our efforts in a more concerted way. Um, whether it's you know coordinating with other allied organizations or or doing what we do on our own. So um, you know that that was a highlight for me, and and uh, we had a great. Um, a great session Rob and I did up on stage and talking about that and talking about what's happening in Washington or at the time not really happening. And, um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's been good that we just started that June 1st. And, um, so there's been a lot of onboarding going on lately, but, um, yeah, things are, things are moving along. Live in PGA. <laughs> oh, sorry no, you're good you're good um that's wild yeah I mean, you, you, the announcement this morning is um you know i think it shocked a lot of people and frankly i think it shocked a lot of people that probably should have known <laughs> that this was going on um, and you know it's it's going to be an interesting road ahead um obviously i think uh, you know jay monahan is going to have some um some sort of explaining to yeah. do. And, and I, my understanding is that he has a player's meeting scheduled today at four o'clock and, um, you, you know, is, is going to brief folks on, um, how things sort of played out. But yeah, I mean, I think very few people anticipated, you know, just given the rhetoric and the posturing that was going on over the last year that this would happen. Um, there are some folks that did, you know, uh, predict that this would happen, but, um, a very, very surprising turn of events this morning. And, um, you know, from, from the national club association perspective, we don't really have a, uh, a position on live or the PGA tour or, right. you know, uh, anything like that. Um, but, you know, I do think it presents some interesting issues when it comes to potential, uh, antitrust issues that the federal government can look into, you know, they've announced that they're going to make this merger. Um, but you know, I think the, the, the federal government and the federal trade commission um, might not view it quite as favorably as, as some others do. So, um, you know, I don't think that the, the final chapter of this has been written. Certainly they're working through some details, but um, there could be some, some action from the federal government um, in the offing in the, in the coming weeks as well. I feel like you would kind of hope so. Like, I feel like you, I think anybody, like, no matter like if it was golf or not, you'd, if your two major organizations came together, you kind of hope the government would be like, all right, hold on one second. Like, let's uh, make sure. Yeah, well, it, here. it's not, it's, well, it's, and it's not just two major organizations. It's actually three because you got yes. the European tour yes. involved as well. So, you know, it, it is a very um, unique kind of situation. And I'm, you know, obviously we'll be paying attention, um, but, I think there's there's also some potential for the federal government to get engaged on this as well.
you know, we're we're talking about the government. Uh, we have the uh, su- Supreme Court decision on on Waters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a couple of weeks ago. Um, the Supreme Court issued their ruling in a case called Sackett versus the EPA, and really, you know, without getting into a whole lot of detail about the particulars of the case, um, you know, it really was a a test case for what the depth and breadth of the federal government, specifically the EPA's jurisdiction and authority was to to uh, manage the waters of the United States, um, lakes, rivers, streams, wetlands, that kind of thing. Um, and some of these definitions that um, the EPA has put forward have captured man-made bodies of water, ditches, and, you know, ephemeral mm-hmm. waters and, and and those types of things that really raise some questions about whether the government is overstepping its bounds. Um, so this case, Sackett versus EPA, there was a couple that wanted to build a house. Um, they bought this property and there was, um, you know, wetlands uh, on the property, but the, it was separated from what was uh, a, a waters of the U.S. Uh, by a road. And um, they said that there was no significant nexus between the body of water and, you know, their property. Um, but obviously the government um, disagreed. And so this went through the court system. And and finally, the, the Supreme Court basically said, look, um, you, you know, the, 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 the sort of definitions and um, criteria that the EPA was using to establish a significant nexus between a body of water um, that is under jurisdiction by the, of the Clean Water Act versus um, something that might be under the jurisdiction of the, the state government or the local government uh, is overly broad. So the significant nexus test uh, or doctrine, if you want to call it, has basically just been completely blown up by the Supreme Court. Um, you know, and I think there's been a lot of um, hay made about the fact that you know this there's, it was a five and four decision, but it was actually a nine to nothing decision in terms of whether or not the significant te- uh, nexus test. Uh, was appropriate. Um, where things sort of broke out was there were various reasons for, for, you know, individual justices that had, that believed that the significant nexus test was not appropriate. So, um, you know, the majority opinion was five to four. Um, there was another p- opinion written by Justice Kavanaugh that offered some different reasons, but basically, it basically ended up with the same result. Um, and that was joined by, um, Elena Kagan and, um, Katanji Brown Jackson, I believe. So, you know, it, it didn't break down really on, on sort of partisan basis to the extent that you can have partisan decisions in the federal uh, in the Supreme Court. So, it's it, it's going to have an impact on how the waters of the United States rule um, that the EPA issued or finalized in January and went into effect in March is going to be applied or implemented. And you know, so we're we're still sort of picking up the pieces and trying to figure out exactly what that means and how the government's going to respond. So, um, you know, it's a story that has yet to be written. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of impact. I feel like that's like the, going to be the, the word of the episode because with that, I mean, we also then now have the impact of the IRS, uh, auditors hiring, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's, that that's something that we've sort of seen coming, um, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, or, you know, some people quibble about whether or not it should have been named the Inflation Reduction Act, given that it really didn't do much about inflation. But, um, 
be that as it may, um, there was an a, a additional $80 billion that was allocated to the Internal Revenue Service um, and, and what they're in the process of doing right now. Some of that money is is sort of impacted by the debt ceiling package that was just agreed to, but nothing significant. And uh, But what the IRS is doing right now is they're going out and hiring um, and training auditors um, to bolster their enforcement efforts. And where that raises concerns for me, um, you know, from an organizational standpoint is, you know, what potential exposure or impact could that have on the auditing of private clubs around the United States? And um, so we're, we're keeping an eye on that as well. Um, you know, I think one of the things that clubs can do to prepare themselves or, you know, get ready is just kind of do an internal audit to make sure everything's um, you know, uh, all the I's are dotted, T's are crossed and, and that kind of thing. So, um, and they're in compliance with all of the required regulations and tax no rules. No surprises, no surprises. So, but we'll keep an eye on it and, and, you know, we'll, we'll let folks know, uh, if we're picking up any chatter about increased audits and that kind of thing. But, you know, there, there, there's, we've seen an uptick in the number of, um, inquiries being made about paycheck protection program loans, um, particularly in the state of Florida, Pennsylvania, and, and some others. Um, and I do wonder if there's going to be any um, sort of, uh, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking when it comes to the employee retention tax credit and how that was uh, rolled out and that kind of stuff. Because I, I do know a fair number of clubs availed themselves of that, yeah. and you know, which was the intention of the program. Um, to retain their employees. So, um, you know, we'll keep an eye on it and uh, we'll let folks know what we, what yeah, we hear. Yeah, please uh, keep, keep, up, keep us updated too. There we go. There was a lot of use. And then we have the, <laughs> we have the labor secretary nomination policy impact. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the, um, when it comes to the issue set for, for clubs, um, you know, labor policy is really, been in kind of a key labor, you know, key policy area. Um, and I think that really stems from the fact that when you, when you get right down to it, clubs, um, you know, when you look at their budgets, roughly about 40 to 50% of their budgets annually are for, uh, labor, uh, whether it's salaried or hourly employees. And, um, as a result, you know, there's a, a, a great interest in the, in the labor policy and what's happening at state levels, but also federal government. So right now, uh, we're in the process of, um, you know, we have a nominee for a new labor secretary. Um, Julie Sue is her name. She headed up, um, labor for, in the state of California, which, um, is often, uh, strike or two against you when it comes to getting a confirmation in the U.S. Congress. Um, and uh, she's run into some issues and not just among Republicans, but there's some uh, Democrats in the Senate that are expressing some res- reservations about whether or not she should be confirmed as well. So she is um, actually in front of the House Education Workforce Committee tomorrow, and um, it's, it's likely she's going to receive quite a few questions um, about the policy direction of the, of the Department of Labor. Specifically, I think there's going to be a lot of attention paid upon the independent contractor issues and potentially a, a proposed rule that could come out at some point on uh, updating the overtime threshold. But obviously, when it comes to independent contractors, that's something that clubs care about uh, a, a fair amount. 
uh, given the employment um, or use of, of caddies yeah. at various facilities. And, um, you know, traditionally that's been an ind- independent contractor type of role, though we have seen some movement and some shift towards a third party arrangement where, you know, the caddy is an employee of a of, a, of an agency that, you know, deploys their yeah. caddies to various courses, that kind of thing. So, um, but the tra- tradition has been an independent contractor role. And, and so we're obviously interested in how that's going to play out. The, the, the funny thing about all of this is that we're not likely to see anything move by, from the agency until uh, she gets confirmed or she doesn't get confirmed. Um, so we're sort of in the state of limbo right now that's... Um, that's presenting some issues, not only from uh, just a risk management standpoint and and a government relations standpoint, but uh, um, yeah, just from a knowledge uh, perspective. How far out? You just don't know what's going to happen. How far out should I don't want to say should we be worried, but like how like what's the timeline of all of that? Like what's does that make sense? Like like so like if you know, what when can well all the kind of play out. Sure. Well, the independent contractor, the final rule was really supposed to be finalized in May. Um, so we're, we're, we're behind schedule, um, and at least according to the unified regulatory uh, calendar that the government puts out twice a year. Um, on the overtime issue, it's a big question mark. Um, I suspect that the agency's probably been doing quite a bit of work in the background, but they're not going to show their hand or push anything out until they, the labor secretary uh, confirm. Um, it, it's just too, it, it invites too much, um, you know, controversy or just open-ended questions um, for for a nominee to have their nomination in consideration when major, major policy uh, regulations are being put out. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a, it's anybody's guess how this is going to play out. Uh, I personally, if I were to handicap it, I, I think that Julie Sue's not going to be confirmed. And then that raises some questions about, okay, well, does the agency then go forward and do these regulations or do they continue to hold their powder until they get a, uh, a new nominee? But I just I have no idea who that nominee would be. Um, and that's, I think, where everybody else is. Too. Dog chasing its tail. In terms of nominee. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's it's uh, that's our that's our government. <laughs> so any uh, any so, fun things on the horizon? Anything that's got your interest that you're looking forward to? That's got your concern? Just you know, looking out for the next uh, couple of months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we're um, you know obviously keeping an eye on Congress and and the different um, opportunities there might be there. Um, you know, we we obviously have been pushing for the. A passage of the Personal Health Investment Today Act, um, which is, you know, uh, something we've been working on um, with our allies for quite some time. Um, the, you know, the appropriations process, now that we're past the debt ceiling, um, f- you know, negotiations and, and package, um, the appropriations process will start in earnest. And, um, you know, we, we have a, a number of areas that we're looking at there. Most Specifically and perhaps importantly for us is H2B program, um, H2B visas for seasonal workers. And, um, I'm happy to say that we're, we're in a pretty good position right now, though we really need to kind of circle the wagons and, and defend our position. 
Um, the chairman's mark uh, of that particular funding bill includes, includes a provision that would exempt um, returning workers from the H-2B visa cap, um, which is something that we've been arguing and pushing for uh, for quite some time. And um, um, it does have some opposition. And I know that there's been some sort of background conversations um, you know, with members on the Appropriations Committee about taking that provision out. Um, but, you know, it's always start better to start with a, a provision in um, than it is to try to get something in later. And um, so, you know, we're, we're continuing to talk to our friends and uh, on the Appropriations Committee and, and, and Authorizing Committee to make sure that uh, that stays in there. I think we, we do have, like I said, bipartisan support to keep it in there. But, you know, these negotiations... Uh, tend to go as they go. And um, as, as is often said, um, nothing's agreed to until everything's agreed to. And so we'll continue to push for that. All right, Joe, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate all the, all the updates and look forward to the next one. Likewise. Thank you very much. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, listeners. Hope you enjoyed that and got some value. Even if you're listening to it in the future, always interesting to look back, listen back and hear what was going on at certain times during the world. So thank you, Joe, for keeping us up to date and doing everything you can to move the club world forward in the best light possible. Please reach out if you're interested in joining the NCA. They're a fantastic organization, really cool group of people over there. Whatever platform you are on, please like, subscribe, rate, share with somebody. We really appreciate your help and support. Until next time. <laughs>